0: Uh, My name is uh, Brendan Norton. I'm a a pastoral intern here at King of Grace Church and uh, very happy to uh, be with you to share God's Word. Um, And before we we dive into God's Word, uh, I just want to tell you about an event that happened a few years ago that I think will shed light on our passage. On December 4th, 2016, a man by the name of Edgar Madison Welch walked into a Washington, D.C. pizzeria called Comet Ping Pong. When he walked in, he was carrying a assault rifle and fired uh, several warning shots um, into the ceiling and the counter. Thankfully, no one was injured. Um, But he proceeded to uh, walk to the back of the pizzeria to kind of the big storage area and peek inside. And evidently... Something he was looking for was not inside. And so when the police finally arrived a a few minutes later, he uh, peacefully uh, surrendered. Um, And when they asked him, you know, what are you doing? He said, well, I was trying to save the kids. Turns out that uh, this man had uh, fallen into uh, this very bizarre conspiracy called Pizzagate that uh, Hillary Clinton and various uh, high-level Democrats were running some type of uh, child trafficking ring out of this pizza shop. And so uh, he drove, I believe, from North Carolina um, in order to find these children and free them, only to find that, well, none of that was true. Fast forward four years, uh, this Pizzagate, Conspiracy has now evolved into a movement called QAnon, which uh, takes the crazy and just ups the ante a little bit more. So not only are uh, these Democrats, you know, running some type of ring out of pizza shops, uh, actually the whole country is controlled by a number of uh, bureaucratic people who uh, run uh, child trafficking rings and actually uh, worship Satan. And so uh, the president is supposed to be a semi-messianic figure uh, that's actively trying to thwart this. And we only know about it because some anonymous individual named Q uh, on the internet is just telling us about this in these little messages, you know, just giving us these little bits of information. Now, quite frankly, this is all the height of nonsense. Um, But... I bring this up for a very specific reason, uh, because this isn't just nonsense, but this is what you could call a deception. There is uh, individuals uh, who are actively trying to deceive the public into thinking that there is this grand conspiracy, this grand evil Satan-worshipping cabal uh, responsible for all the problems in the country. And this deception has practical consequences. This deception, in its early form, caused a man to run into a pizza shop with a gun. He could have killed people, he could have injured people. And now, fast forwarding a few years, millions of our fellow citizens firmly believe that this is the reality, this is the state of the world. Deception has consequences, practically. as it's related to our country, as it's related to uh, the world. And what we're gonna find in our passage today is that these temporal deceptions have temporal consequences. They can cause strife, they can cause violence, but there are also agents, there are also deceptions that are trying to actively undermine our very understanding of who God is And the consequences for that deception are far more serious because they will last into eternity. And so what we're going to find uh, in our passage today is first that there are going to be agents of deception who are actively trying to lead believers from the truth. We're going to find that the content of this deception often targets, whether implicitly or explicitly, our understanding of who Jesus Christ is, and his relationship to the Father, and that the antidote against this deception is a deep abiding understanding of God's Word and the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. And so with that being said, please turn with me to first John two, eighteen through twenty-seven. So first John two, eighteen through twenty-seven. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are, not, that they are all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. just as it has taught you, abide in him. just going to pray for us. Lord, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth uh, that does come through it, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would just saturate our minds with your truth. Uh, Lord, help us to know uh, the difference between deception and your uh, good, true word, Lord. And we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give a little background, just reminding us of uh, last week that uh, John had uh, warned his readers about uh, basically following after the world, lusting after the things of the world um, as one a serious obstacle to Christian life and, and Christian growth. But now uh, he's going to pivot that warning and he's going to talk now about specifically uh, these antichrist figures who are going to actively try to deceive uh, Christians uh, related to uh, the identity of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. And so we see in this this first passage talking about deceptions agents. Uh, John begins by stating that this is the last hour. Um, And what he means by this, and by extension us who are now reading it uh, 2,000 years in the future, is that Uh, this really is the the end time of human history uh in in redemption history we have jesus death resurrection and ascension but now there's only really one event left um, and that is the return of christ and so though uh the last hour may seem to be dragging on quite a bit i wouldn't recommend if your wife asks you to take out the trash just say i'll do it in the last hour that could be (laughs) a long time but we are existing in this last uh, this last hour and so we know that christ is coming imminently he also states that they have heard that the antichrist is coming Um, not a uh, not a antichrist or many antichrists which we'll reference later but here he really is speaking about uh, some specific historical figure um, that really embodies everything it is to be against Christ, literally anti-Christ, um, who's going to act in direct opposition to Christ in the church. And so given that uh, next week is uh, the presidential election, I'm sure you're all dying to know uh, which candidate is the antichrist. Uh, and thankfully, I uh, actually do have an answer for you, if uh, you could go to the next slide. Uh, surprise, it's actually 1992 independent candidate Ross Perot. Uh, he has been biding his time all these decades, and soon he will be made manifest as the Antichrist. Now, <laughs> how to recover from that? <laughs> Obviously, this is not true, and forgive me if you did vote for Ross Perot. I don't mean anything negative about him. He's a nice guy. <laughs> uh, I bring that up... Uh, not just for comedic effect, but to underscore um, really what isn't the point of this passage. Um, Even though John is mentioning the Antichrist, uh, he quickly moves on from that notion. This passage isn't really to explain who the Antichrist is, what's going to happen. Um, That merely is the introduction to what he's going to talk about in his specific context at that time. And so, ultimately trying to predict the antichrist trying to you know figure out you know if this event happens and this then we must be here um, ultimately that is all folly we're not going to find that out we're not going to be able to successfully predict that so i'm not even going to try uh, just as john does not and so the real focus then of the passage is what comes next after his mention of the antichrist Um, He says that so now many antichrists have come. He's talking now about other individuals in the present time that he's writing. Um, And the presence of these antichrists is actually evidence that we're in the last hour. Um, It's not just that there's only the one event between uh, the end and uh, now, Christ's return. Uh, But we know that uh, we're in the last hour because there are these figures of opposition to the truth, these antichrists who are actively um, attempting to uh, subvert the church and subvert God's people. Now, as he goes on, he says that uh, they went out from us but were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. Uh, But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Evidently, in uh, this church that John uh, was writing to, there had been uh, some type of schism or separation. Um, A number of uh, members of the church had left um, and were now preaching something antithetical to uh, the message of Jesus and the apostles, as we'll find out more about in a moment. But John here is using this repeated language of, of coming out, of not remaining. And the point he's making is that the true church that they, uh, John is writing to, that is following the apostolic teaching about Jesus, um, to leave that was evidence that you were never really a part of it. If, if having that truth, if having um, that message directly from an apostle who knew Jesus, um, if that is not something that, you, uh, that these individuals were comfortable with or didn't believe, um, then their very act of leaving proved that they were never part of it, um, because God ultimately would have uh, preserved the truth in them if they had really been a part of it. And so their leaving is the evidence that they were never really a part of the church, that this seed of uh, doctrinal aberration Uh, was already there and already growing and so these antichrists then were never a part of the church they were never part of god's people and now if i can make a small tangent um, just about this part of the passage um, there have been some who've used that couple of verses you know they left us so they're never really among us um, in sort of a spiritually abusive way so you're part of a a faithful local church. And, uh, you know, maybe you have a slight theological difference or, um, you know, you move, you have a job or something. And so you move to another church. Um, That's not bad. That's not sinful. That's not evil. Uh, And that's not what John is getting at. And so some have used this to basically say, well, if you leave this church, this is the one true church. So if you leave us, I guess you're not really a Christian. You know, if you go to second baptist down the road from first baptist you know that's that's satan over there um but that's not what john's talking about and that's not an appropriate use of this passage so just to throw that out there um, that that's not what he's talking about Um, uh, but he is talking about those who uh, left they were already doctrinally aberrant and as we're going to see they really uh, quite substantially opposed the truth And so before we get into everything that uh, they may have believed or what was going on, uh, just to let you know, know, I've mentioned that this last hour has been going on for 2000 years. Um, There have been a lot of figures, a lot of antichrists, as uh, John says, who have opposed the truth, who have opposed the gospel in some form or fashion. Um, One of the earliest and most ardent opponents in the 4th century, was an Egyptian presbyter by the name of Arius. Um, And Arius believed that Jesus, uh, the son of God, was not actually God. He was not part of the Trinity. He was not the son in that sense. But he was really the the best and first creation that God had ever made. He was, in essence, a a super-duper angel. And through him, God made the rest of creation, um, and so there was a point where Jesus didn't exist. There's a point where uh, the Son was not was their sort of slogan. But the problem with this is if you know Jesus isn't actually God, if Jesus does not come into the flesh, um, then really we're not actually saved because uh, part of the recipe of salvation is that really only God can overcome sin, only God can overcome the debt and uh, the ravages of sin that we as humans have. And so no super angel, however good and great, is gonna be able to accomplish something only God can. And so by denying Jesus in this way, it really denies the reality of our salvation. It really means that this would be pointless, that we are still lost. And so it took the, the first great council of the church, the Council of Nicaea, to condemn this position as heresy. Uh, But the reality is, in this last hour, even something like this that began over a thousand years ago still exists. There are still folks that believe this and preach this. The Jehovah's Witnesses have a very similar position to that. And so the point of this is to to demonstrate that these uh, opponents, these uh, deceivers with regards to the truth existed then and they still exist now. And... John really wants to key his readers, he wants to key us into the fact that we have to be aware that there are active agents of deception um, that are trying to keep us from knowing and following after the truth. And so we have to be aware of this present, uh, past, and future danger uh, that will exist until Christ's return. And so that is the, the purpose of this first section, is to let us know these agents of deception exist. But now knowing that these agents exist, knowing that uh, we are going to be actively, de- uh, actively opposed by those who would deceive us, um, what is it exactly that they're saying that we're supposed to worry about? How are we to know what is in opposition to the truth? How are we to know um, what is uh, false and what is dangerous? And so John is now going to to pivot now in uh, verses 20 to 23 to explain what that is. What is the content of this deception? And so verse 20, uh, we see the first thing he says before he gets into that content is, uh, but you've been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. So we'll get back to this in the next section a little bit more, but I do want to just give you an explanation of what that means to keep in your mind. So what on earth is John talking about? He says, but you've been anointed by the Holy One, uh, and that gives you knowledge. What is this anointing that he's talking about? Is it some magical superpower that we have as Christians? Is it something like that? Um, I would say no. the first thing we can say about whatever this anointing is, is that it's from the Holy One, so it's from God himself. It's not uh, from another source. It's not from another being. And so that means fundamentally that it is a good thing. It is a holy thing. And that this thing uh, given to God by the believer, he's using this word anointing or anointed. And so in the Old Testament, what we see is Uh, When someone was anointed, that would uh, be referencing being kind of set apart for a special purpose. So the high priest would be anointed, the king would be anointed, and the actual anointing would be the pouring of oil uh, uh, on them to kind of symbolize this being set apart for a specific task or purpose. Um, Messiah or Christ literally means the anointed one. So Jesus is being set apart uh, for this task and purpose. Um, So we get this idea that there's a specific function that goes along with this anointing. And obviously, um, this isn't literal in the sense that God has just poured oil on all Christians. Um, We would need a lot of napkins if that were the case. But uh, it does mean that God has uh, given something to believers uh, for a specific purpose. And so I believe that this anointing is really related to Jesus' own anointing um, as the anointed one. So it says in Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So if we are those who are united to Christ, if we are uh, united to this anointed one, uh, then our anointing would be similar to his. And so I believe that what he's referring to here, John is referring to, is Uh, That we are anointed with the Holy Spirit and his power in some form or fashion. And that the effect of that is that we have all knowledge. Um, Not all knowledge is in omniscience. I definitely don't know all things, and I don't imagine you do as well. Um, But he kind of fleshes it out, what this is related to in verse 21. He says that they know the truth. And this is in the context of talking about the gospel, talking about these theological ideas, and so this anointing of the Holy Spirit in power allows them to know the truth. In contrast, because we have to keep the context, it's in contrast to these antichrist figures. So this anointing, and we'll find out more about that later, um, gives them knowledge of the truth in contrast to the deception of these antichrists. And so with that being said, we can now dive into what is this deception. So we don't know exactly historically what the situation was in John's church um, with these uh, secessionists, these antichrist figures. We don't have a statement of faith from them or anything like that. But what we can see from the context and uh, what uh, John writes is we have, uh, it says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So evidently, without incredible specifics, we know that the basic reality that these Antichrist figures was denying was, in some sense, the special relationship of uh, the Son to the Father, the special mission of the Son... Uh, to save humanity, in some form or fashion, this was under threat. Um, This was the issue at hand. And really, that gets to what the core of the Christian message is about. The core of the Christian message is that God, uh, God the Son, comes down into human form. He lives a perfect life and dies on the cross to make up that debt of sin uh, that we have accrued Um, as sinful human beings. And so Jesus is both God, Jesus is uh, both God and man, and is in this special relationship to the Father because he is the son of the Father, however that may be construed um, uh, theologically. And so this is what's at stake. To deny the Son, his relationship or his mission, um, is the, the crux of the issue. And the result of that is to deny the son means you're also denying the father. Uh, To say that God has no son, to say that uh, God does not have the special relationship with Jesus, uh, ultimately is to deny who God is because that's the very identity of God as Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so... Yeah, the result of that is terrible. To deny the Son is actually to deny God. You can't have God the Father without God the Son. Um, We even see that uh, with uh, Jesus in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is this gateway, this entry point to understanding who God the Father is for understanding his plan uh, for salvation. And so this is is what is at stake with this denial. But with that, we do have the promise that whoever confesses the son also has the father. Um, To acknowledge the son, to acknowledge Jesus' death, life, and resurrection, acknowledge his Godhood as the second person of the Trinity, uh, that allows us to be in relationship with the father. And to deny that again is to cut oneself off from the father. But perhaps you're hearing this or reading this and you're thinking, well, that seems kind of weird. Almost seems kind of religiously bigoted. I mean, don't other people, you know, say they worship God? You know, kind of this notion, all paths lead to God. You know, everybody, there's a big elephant somewhere, someone's feeling the trunk, someone's feeling the tail. They all have bits and pieces, but ultimately, you know, this God reality, everyone is, Uh, going to get there and and understand it through their own system. And that kind of is the sort of general milieu of our culture. It's it's kind of this relativistic view. You know, really talking about Jesus so much is actually dividing people. Why uh, would you do that? Um, You know, I can describe God just fine without anything about Jesus. I don't need this Jesus figure It's kind of muddling up my understanding of God. And so what I would say to that is, if I say that God uh, has a son or God is a Trinity, and and you might say, well, I don't think that's true about God. You know, I would ask, are we actually describing the same God, are we describing the same person when we do that? And so to give an illustration uh, with me and my wife, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, we live uh, next to a convenience store and uh, we drink a lot of milk so once or twice a week one of us will go over and grab some milk and uh, we interact with a couple people there and there are or two in particular we'll almost always get um, one is very talkative very friendly you know knows who we are like how's your wife doing how's your husband doing very nice lady uh, the other lady she's nice but she's more New Englandy. so I'm like, eh, here you go, all right, bye. Uh, <laughs> and they actually kind of look the same, they have the same general you know, height and hair color, all that. So uh, the other day, uh, we, I drove to get gas and I just walked in to get a stack. And that really friendly lady was there and we just kind of struck up a conversation, we're talking uh, together. And I come out, and Mary Margaret's like, "Oh, you must have gotten the, you know, less talkative lady. I saw you. That's surprising. You got to talk to her." I'm like, "Well, wait, that wasn't the non-talkative lady. That was the talkative lady." She's like, "No, no, no. She was, you know, short, you know, five something, you know, brown hair. Like that's the non-talkative lady." I'm like, "No, no, it was the talkative one. I'm telling you. Like, she wouldn't ask me about my day or my wife. It was the other lady." And so. We both thought that we were talking about the same person. you know, superficially at a distance, you know, she's looking in from the, the car window into the store. It looked like the lady she thought it was. It looked like the less talkative New England lady. But upon uh, you know, me explaining it and my actual interaction, you know, I knew, based off the temperament, I was talking about a completely different woman, despite the fact that superficially they looked similar. We really were talking about two different people, and so in that same way, you know, to say that you know God or can know God outside of Jesus, you're you're really talking about a different God. You know, it, I, to use another example, if I said, you know, hey, do you guys know Toby Gaynor with you know negative one children? <laughs> I don't know any Toby Gainer. <laughs> with negative children, he has many children. And so <laughs> we would know, we're not talking about the same person. You may think that it's the same person, but I know that uh, Toby has children. They're, you're talking about a different Toby. And so in that same way, if we think that we can know God or understand God outside of his son, we're really just talking about a different God. God is on, The only God there is, is the one that is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who loves humanity and sent his Son to die on a cross for us. To, to speak of, of God in any other way is fundamentally to describe a different God. And to do so and to run with that is to describe a different Christ and a different gospel. Um, you know, evidently these people, uh, these antichrists, would have still had some. Place or role for uh, Christ in their uh, religious ideas. Um, But to deny the relationship of Father and Son, again, is to speak of a different God, to speak of a different Christ. And today in our our world, you know, in a more, uh, you know, relative mindset, we may not think the knowledge of Jesus to know God is important. But then even within uh, Christian understanding, we can think that having correct ideas about god about jesus aren't important either that just gets in the way of evangelism it gets in the way of uh being a christian and while certainly we could dive into the minutia of you know how many angels can fit on a uh, pen top uh that might not be the most helpful or useful thing we do have to understand that uh, there has to be a basic understanding of who god and who christ are uh, who they they are in order to know the gospel in order to know salvation so to say that again a a god that doesn't have a son we're talking about a different god you know to say that uh, christ is only a god and not a human means that we're not saved because we need a a divine christ to overpower sin to say that we have a christ or a god who only seeks to give us financial wealth and blessing um, is to fundamentally teach us to love something God hates, which is the love of money and seeking after wealth. And so that's a different God. Only the actual Christ, the actual God, uh, as triune, can actually save us. And that is the only understanding that we can come to that is going to lead us to salvation. It's not intended to be bigoted. It's not intended to be um, exclusivist. It's just the nature of, of reality as we experience it. If, if I said that I didn't need to drink water, I could really tell you that and be very firm, but I'm gonna die of thirst if I don't drink water. And in that same way, we have to understand who God is, who he really is, and, and seek after that God, seek after that Christ to experience that fundamental salvation that we need and we desire. And so that is why these attacks by these antichrists against the relationship of Jesus to the Father, the mission of Jesus, are so crucial to understand and to resist. Because fundamentally our understanding, our relationship with God, are at stake. And so that is why, that is the, the thing that we need to uh, work against, whether it be explicit or implicit by implication um, That god has not saved us that christ is not the real christ and so with that you know we've been warned that there are agents of deception we've been told that there are the this this content of deception against uh christ and the gospel you know that's pretty bleak you know basically just coming up here like beware and thankfully John, and Scripture, does not leave us at that just to be scared and, and, and beware, but he actually gives us the antidote to this. He gives us the way to understand who these antichrists are and to resist uh, that false teaching. And so moving on to this last point, this last section, starting in verse 24... Uh, What John says is, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. And he's going to go on to say, talk about that anointing again, uh, that anointing you received from God. And so the the key to resisting this deception, the key to resisting uh, deception's agents, and the content of that deception are going to lie in these two things, remembering what we've heard and this anointing, And so the first thing we're going to tackle is, what does he mean, what you've heard from the beginning? And so uh, that's what he says, let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. And what he's referring to is the fundamental teaching of of who uh, Jesus is, his mission, uh, really the gospel message. And for John's hearers, uh, one thing we have to understand, just the difference in context, is... uh, that apostolic message they would have just heard it they had the Old Testament but they didn't have these writings um, compiled in the way that we do now and so what they heard from the beginning for us now is what we are able to hear and read which is the the message of the New Testament um, with the Old Testament um, of the the reality of God and his promises and so uh, it's that word of God. For them, it would have been uh, orally passed down and for us now in written form. Um, this is what they need to allow to abide in them. Um, what he's saying, what you've heard from the beginning or for us now, what you've heard, what you've read, what you have in front of you, let that abide in you. And what he means by abiding Um, is allowing this message, allowing what they've heard from the beginning, allowing the the gospel to saturate them and influence them in everything they do and say. Um, It's allowing this deep presence in their life such that it forms the core. It's the, the rudder on the ship that guides them in what they do. And by doing that, by allowing God's word to abide in them, they are then going to abide in the Father and Son. They are going to uh, live in communion and relationship and joy with with God, the Son, and the Father. And in verse 25, we get more context of what that will mean in that uh, he says the promise that he made to us is eternal life. This is what abiding in Father and Son fundamentally is going to be. It's going to be this communion with God for all of eternity. And this is the the blessing that comes with allowing God's word to saturate you, to fill you, to guide you and instruct you. And so that's the one part that we need in order to understand and to resist uh, this deception. But there is another important part as well. And so in verse 26, we see that Uh, He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So he's basically saying, the whole reason I've written this section to you, again, is a warning about uh, these antichrists, those deceiving you, setting the the stage. But he moves on, he says, but that anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. And so we get... uh, him bringing up this anointing again this anointing by the holy spirit and his power and the result of this is that they don't need anyone to teach them now that doesn't mean that there is no need for uh the readers in john's day or christians now for human instruction if that were the case i would just drive home right now (laughs) uh and obviously that can't be what he means because John, as a human, is writing this letter to them. He's giving them instructions. So it doesn't mean, you know, with this anointing we have all knowledge. We can just go on our way and do what we want. Um, that's not what he's saying. Uh, what he is saying is in the context of uh, this message of the Antichrist, that uh, knowledge that they have and the, the need for note the lack of a need for instruction is related to this new message by these antichrist figures. Uh, The Holy Spirit in them has already confirmed the truth of the the central premise of the gospel, of who Jesus is, of what he's done. And they have no need for this new teaching, these new teachers to come about and tell them something different. Uh, That is what he's referring to. That's the, the teaching that they don't actually need. And so uh, with that, uh, moving on, he says, and it teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Again, confirming uh, that the Holy Spirit, in, in essence, internally witnesses to them of what the truth is, what the truth of the gospel is, what the truth about Jesus is. And so they have no need for this teaching. It has taught them everything sufficient that they need to know. They know and we know by virtue of the Holy Spirit's power, what the truth is, that internal witness that allows us to know the truth. And so finally, uh, he ends with this uh, telling them that just as this anointing has taught you, just as the Holy Spirit has taught you, abide in him, this final command to abide in God. Uh, Through abiding in his word, understanding and letting it saturate your soul, And then also allowing the Holy Spirit to confirm the truth and the veracity of that word and the reality of who Christ is. And so that is the the antidote to deception, knowing and abiding in God's word, and then allowing God's spirit, that anointing, to confirm the basic truths and premises of the gospel. And to kind of give you an illustration Um, if that's not super clear. um, Let me just ask you a quick question. Who here has seen Jurassic Park? All right, now who's seen Jurassic Park 3? One of the worst ones. Oh wow, (laughs) less people than I thought. Well, let me go off on this tangent. Uh, Jurassic Park 3, famously the studio wanted a a bigger batter dinosaur than the T-Rex for the movie. so they chose, at that time, the largest predatory dinosaur called the Spinosaurus um, as the, the kind of big bad guy for the movie. And so in the movie, as it progresses along, you know these people fly in a plane. It crashes, of course, on this dinosaur-filled island. They get attacked by the Spinosaurus and they run away. And as they're initially running away, they unfortunately run into a T-Rex. And they panic and they run back and on the other side is this spinosaurus this big you know sail dinosaur and so now they're sandwiched between these dinosaurs and they start attacking each other and fighting and you know the play-by-play is the first thing that happens is the t-rex bites down on the spinosaurus's neck you know he frees himself and you know he gets headbutt and then he comes in after a few seconds grabs the t-rex's neck with his jaws and then he just snaps his neck and That's it, the T-Rex is down, the T-Rex is dead. And voila, the new big bad dinosaur wins. But as a nerd uh, who has spent too much time learning about dinosaurs, uh, I can tell you that there is no way that would have happened, that is just not true. You see, the T-Rex had the strongest bite force of any land animal to ever exist of about seven tons So that's the equivalent of a T-Rex biting down on you with three cars just crushing into you with little sharp knives. And so when that T-Rex first bit that Spinosaurus, it really could have just beheaded it. There's no way it could have recovered. Um, So that is is just fake, that wouldn't have happened. Very, very firm about that. (laughs) Now you may be saying, well, Brandon, this is all well and good, a nice pop culture paleontology lesson. You appreciate it, but it has nothing to do with anything. Well, let me tell you, it has everything to do with everything. You see, I can call foul on this fight. I can say there's no way the the Spinosaurus would have won because I have deeply immersed myself in this information about dinosaurs, in this uh, literature and stuff. I've allowed it to shape what I understand about dinosaurs to the point where I can watch this movie and immediately say, you know what, that's not true. There's literally no way that would have happened. I'm deeply aware of the facts and the truth such that I can spot a deception, I can spot a lie a mile away. And so it's in that same way that when we have a deep understanding of God's word and we allow the Holy Spirit to confirm that in us, we too can spot deception. We can know right away you know, if I get up here and I start saying, you know, there's actually 50 gods we'd ever knew, all of you could say to me, no, that's, that's not true. We, we know from God's word that that's not true, and we know through the Spirit that that's not true. And so that's the way that that functions in our lives, is it gives us that understanding, it gives us that knowledge to say, that is not the truth, we know the truth. And so we have to let that abide in us and inform us day to day So that in this last hour as we experience um, this deception, we can know what the truth is and we can be confident and say this is not true. And so just in review, uh, just from this passage, uh, the first thing that we need to be aware of is that there are antichrists, there are agents of deception actively seeking to lead us from the truth. We have to be aware of that situation on the ground and know that this is the last hour secondly we have to understand that this content what it's going to attack is it's going to attack our understanding of who jesus is it's going to attack our understanding fundamentally of the gospel and so we have to be aware of that strategy but we can be confident and we can be hopeful because we know that by allowing god's word to saturate us by allowing god's spirit to confirm in us the truth that not only can we spot this error but we can remain faithful uh, faithful to Christ and persevere until the end